0: Thanks for joining us again, and this week we have another bumper show, jam-packed with talent, and if blue is the colour for you, listen on. As ever, transfer guru Fabrizio Romano will give us his spin on the transfer market, as he does for us every single week. And it'll be fascinating to see what he has to say about the club under the spotlight this week, Chelsea. Fab is dropping in in a few minutes as we ask the question, will Chelsea's project work? Well, no major club performed poorer than Chelsea last season. No major club has been busier in the transfer window in the close season. More news on the ins and outs to come. And another man with his ear very close to the Stamford Bridge ground is Ben Jacobs. Ben is here every week too. And you have plenty of news for us from West London, Ben, to come.
1: One major club performed worse than Chelsea last season. My club, to... Leicester, Premier League winners, of course, and sadly relegated. But otherwise, I take your points. Great All to right. be here as ever.
0: Okay. Uh, well, not only do we have two of the transfer world's top journalists, we also have four members of Chelsea Royalty none other than Joe Cole, Gus Poyett, double winning manager Emma Hayes, and a man who's with us already. John Obi Mikel. Well, John spent eleven years at Stamford Bridge, winning two Premier League titles, four FA Cups, two League Cups, a Europa League, and the Champions League. Uh, John, a very warm welcome to the debrief.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: And it's one thing that I know we have to clear up because I've just introduced you as John Obi Mikel. You're going to tell me that's not right, is it? Put put those three words in the right order.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you're wrong. <laughs> to start with. But on, yeah, then. I think, um, yeah, a lot of people ask me that question, but um, yeah, I will, I will have to set the record straight really and say, yeah, it is Mikel Genovi.
0: And do you prefer being called Mikel or do you always use the John as, as your name?
2: No, I, I do prefer to be called Mikel. I think a lot of people do actually call me Mikel. I think when I, you know, when I walk around the street, I, you know, people meet me. Uh, I think the first name they actually call is Mikhail. Um, except when you do know me really well. I mean, the likes of you know my colleagues, people I played with, uh, John Terry is probably the one that really calls me Obi. Uh, probably he's the only one. I think uh, John Terry and Frank Lampard probably the only two people that actually do call me Obi. Uh, but everyone else just call me Mikhail.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, if you change your name on your shirt, then it's, you know, it's a big question. What, what, what on earth do we call you? I mean, we're, we're simple folk, we, we football journalists. We, you know, we need, we need it plain and clear.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: So what do you think uh, of, of what's happening at Chelsea at the moment, uh, Mikel?
2: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Because obviously when we all kind of left, I think the club started doing really well. Um, I think when Tukul came in and uh, Antonio Conte as well came in before Tuku, kind of did pretty well and got the club playing really well and won the league as well. So, And then after that, I think Tukul came in as well, did pretty good, won the Champions League and won the league. But after that, the club has just gone down the hill. Um, I don't think anyone can really pinpoint what the problem is. Um, is it the players? Is it is it is it the current owner? Obviously, I think my time there, knowing you know, when um when Roman Abramovich was there, I think that where the club was run, the club run properly, not just uh about making money, it was about the football, it was about what goes on the football pitch. Um I don't know the owners now, I don't know what their you know what their intentions are for the club, but whatever it is, I think the club needs to get back to winning ways. We need to we need to figure out that that winning ways of how we you know how we play and how we want to. The, the the motivation of the club. When I watch the team play now, I just I just don't see any motivation from the players. Um, I don't know what the problem is. Um, I can't. I I really don't know what the problem is. But we have to figure out a way. Uh, we can't have um, another season like the season we had last season.
0: Ben, for you, what is the project at Stamford Bridge? Do you think?
1: Well, how long do we have? is the first question. (laughs) To try and condense it, I think there's two things. The short term, Chelsea need to win. And then the long term, Chelsea need to plan. And part of that is around recruitment. So one change is we're seeing an investment in youth. Another part of the project is thinking about lowering the average age of the squad and the wage bill. And in doing so, investing In young talent for the future, which might mean paying more now, but benefiting in the long term. So the Boley Clearlight ownership group very much see transfer fees as investment, not expenses. Then we have the multi-club model, which connects to all of that. And Chelsea have just bought Strasbourg. And on top of that, there's the brand expansion and Todd Boley and Bedag Agbali are trying to generate non-football income. So this is about making Chelsea successful and sustainable. It's about relying on youth. It's about being innovative. And it's ultimately going to take time. And we're seeing, Mikel, very hands-on ownership. And that's what I wondered about your time at Chelsea. Presumably, you didn't rub shoulders with Roman Abramovich too often. What did you make of that? ownership model, because on the one hand, the ownership were quite distant, but on the other hand, Chelsea obviously won lots of trophies, which in football is really all that matters.
2: Yeah, I think yeah, I think that's probably the case. Like you said, uh, I think when Roman was, when we were there and Roman was still the owner of the club, he wasn't there all the time, but every time he came in, uh, you could see how much he really loved the club and how much he wanted the club to succeed. I mean, he, he comes to the games, but he never—he doesn't come to the dressing room quite often. Uh, maybe uh, if there is a big game, maybe like a Champions League game, and we—and and then after the game, he drops into the dressing room to say hi to the players. He was an owner, you know, that looked out from afar, kind of, but was really handsome from afar. Um, but I don't know Todd Bowley really well, uh, but I—but what I see is that you know he's always there, trying to be very much involved and trying to pretty much kind of run the day-to-day activities of the club. You can't, I don't think you can have an owner who will do that and trying to get the club to also succeed at the same time. But Uh um, we actually really need to, I think now with a lot of players have left and now we need to, I think Pochettino will look at the players that he wants and the players that he still needs to get, get out of the door and make sure he brings his own players and get the players to play the way he wants to play. And I think that's probably the only way that we can get back to winning ways. We have to start winning games and get back to the top four.
0: And do you feel that the Mauricio Pochettino is the right man for this overhaul?
2: Well, to be honest, I, I mean, I like Pochettino, to be honest. But I think when, you know, a club like Chelsea is... Um, I can pretty much say from when I was there, when I was there, when Roman was there, and we had the likes of JT, Frank Lampard, DJ Peter Jay, Ashley Cole, and these are the players that used to steady the ship. You know, when we had tr- when we had problems, when we had trouble. When I look at the team now, they, you don't have there is no there, there is that can do that. I, I can't see any player inside the pitch or outside the pitch that can say, you know what, we need to we need to gather ourselves and start. Whatever it is, we need to figure it out as players. Sometimes you need a, a teammate to tell you that you're not doing well. Instead, rather than the coach always complaining, you need a teammate to say, you know what, come here, we need you, to, you know, we need you to wake up and start playing well. Um, but when I look at this team now, they don't have that. So I don't know where that's going to come from. But hopefully, you know, we can find that.
0: But can, can Pochettino bring those players in, do you think? Do you think once he's got that within the club then he is the right sort of manager that can bring success back to Stamford Bridge.
2: Well, I think, so. I think when, when you look at his time at Spurs, I think he did. Obviously, what he did with Spurs was quite magnificent. I think, uh, obviously, they got to the Champions League final, didn't win a trophy. But the way he got the team to play, they were a very attacking-minded attacking team. Um, they always wanted to attack. They wanted to play well. They wanted to score goals. I think that's what we need at Chelsea. That's what we want him to bring to Stafford Bridge. You know, the, the team to attack and, you know, try to score goals and win games. Uh, and then we can get the fans back on our side because that's what you need. You need the fans to get back and support the you know support the team and support the players. And I think Pochettino, is, I, th- I think he might be the right person to do it. But I will always say, I don't think... I think Tuchel really was a guy for me that I thought would always get the best out of his place. Uh, but, I mean, I'm willing to give Pochettino a chance and see what he can do.
0: Would you prefer to see seen Tuchel still there?
2: I would have, definitely. I think it was the wrong move to, you know, to get rid of him. I think when he came into the club, he did you know, the way the, the, the team were playing. That was the first time I've seen Chelsea play you know, in a certain way. They had an identity of how they wanted to play. And he just wanted to play that way. And then, and then we got results. We got results playing that way. We won, you know, we won the Champions League playing that way. Um, so I didn't see the reason of, you know, of getting rid of him. And since then, he's just been, he's just been downhill from there.
1: Mikel, you spoke a moment ago about leadership at Chelsea and during your time, the likes of Lampard and JT. Give us a bit of insight, first of all, as to what a player might actually do behind closed doors. The other week we had Jason McAteer on and he said that in the Liverpool dressing room, it can get quite aggressive, but in a constructive way. It's very much about players leading and being firm and pulling up the standards of others. So any insight as to when that happened at your time at Chelsea and how important following on from that with the likes of Thiago Silva and even someone like Rhys Jamesby, in terms of leadership, heading into this season.
2: Oh, uh, <laughs> I think when we were when we were playing, when we were obviously my time at Chelsea, um, you know, the leadership was a it was a, it, it was a mafia, it was a mafia leadership we had back then. You know, <laughs> it was a leadership of of, of egos, uh, big name players. Everybody wanted to be the boss. Everybody wanted to be the main man. Um, but we were quite lucky that we had one person, obviously, the captain, JT, who was a guy that can pull everybody and say, listen, here, this is Chelsea, and this is Chelsea Football Club. And everything is done in one way. And... Um, when you come into this football club, you have to follow a certain way. You have to follow the rules of the way we want to, the way we want to play, the way we want to behave, and, the, and follow the system of the way the club wants things to run. Um, I remember when the likes of uh, Shevchenko and Michael Bala came into the club. Obviously they were big name players. They came from big clubs. They were big names already before they came to Chelsea. And so they thought they would come in and straight away become one of the masses, but, but, <laughs> but the likes of JT and Frank Lampard, you know, that, that, that didn't work. They had to work for it. They had to work for the, whatever they wanted to, 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 you know, to get from the, you know, from the dressing room. You just don't come in and get it handed over to you. Um, but I hope that the likes of Rhys James now and Thiago Silva can be able to get that from this young Chelsea team. I think it's a very, very young Chelsea team. I hope uh, Thiago Silva is obviously an experienced player, um, I hope he can be able to do that.
0: Well a major part of the project is transfers and Chelsea have been busy in the transfer market already with a number of notable names leaving West London. As ever the transfer guru Fabrizio Romano joins us to give us the inside track on the big transfer news. We know Chelsea are likely to be the busiest of all clubs this summer. I mean, look at the list of players who have left. Piliqueta, Mount, Havertz, Kovacic, Koulibaly, Mendy, Loftus-Cheek, Kante. What's next for Chelsea? And are they making progress with Caicedo?
3: Yeah, I think there will be some other goings to the next days because this is the idea of the club and it remains the idea of the club. So it's always been to proceed with a big player out this summer and this remains the the idea so I expect Young to leave Romelu Lukaku to leave Uh, we know a situation of players who will go on loan like David Fofana, for example Uh, Zierk has to clarify his future and I think he's going to leave Chelsea in the next days so the idea of the club is to proceed with negotiations uh, very soon and to try to sell at least three four five more players and someone to go on loan so this process is absolutely still ongoing and also the negotiation for Moises Caicedo is still ongoing because, uh, as I already explained from what I told, this negotiation between Chelsea and Brighton is kind of direct negotiation. So it's not traditional negotiation in terms of official bid and official answer from the other club. In this case, Chelsea decided to go with different approach. We know they have Paul Winstanley, who was at Brighton and so has a very good relationship with the club and so they are trying to uh, handle this story in different way. Uh, for example, last summer was very difficult to negotiate with Cucurella as we know very well so they decided to go with different approach. Now they're speaking to Brighton so there is a conversation ongoing. I'm sure that next week is going to be a crucial time to keep going in negotiations and to try to finalise this deal for Caicedo Then let's see if they will be able to make it happen in seven days but the negotiation is absolutely on. The player is and, pushing to go and the player yeah. wants Chelsea.
0: What sort of fee are we talking about Fair.
3: so the idea around for for Chelsea is to close this deal around 70 plus or maybe 80 million pounds this has to be the package for Moises Caicedo Brighton want more than this so Brighton feel that that Declan Rice uh, deal means that they can get something around maybe 90, 100 million pounds for, uh, for Moises Caicedo so I think this is part of the game honestly it's part of the strategy I think there is one crucial point The player wants to go because Roberto de Zerbi told him in February when he signed the new deal that he had this opportunity to go and to find a new club in case they received a good proposal. So I'm sure that this Moses Caicedo deal is going to be very concrete in the next days.
0: Will we see Chelsea sign another striker, do you think?
3: I think it depends on what happens in the pre-season, in the first games that they will have under Mauricio Pochettino. This is something that they will consider in the next days. At the moment, there is no active negotiation ongoing. I'm hearing many names around Chelsea, as always, but they're very happy with the squad they have and they're very happy with Nicolas Jackson. They believe that Jackson is a player who probably was a bit underrated in the media because they paid 37 million euros just because he had release clause. But probably the reality was different if they wanted to negotiate with Jackson without release clause included into his contract. So they're very happy with him. They they want to test him. They want Pochettino to keep an eye on the squad and then decide what's the best way for Chelsea to go on the market. So they have interest in some players, but it's not something concrete at this stage.
0: OK, what about those links with uh, uh, DiBala? Are they genuine?
3: At the moment, uh, from what I'm hearing, the idea of Chelsea is to go step-by-step, step, so Caicedo is priority, and then we will see if they will add one more player, one more offensive player. For sure he's a player appreciated by Mauricio Pochettino. So the reality is that Pochettino has always been a big fan of Dybala. When he was Tottenham manager, he's one of the players he mentioned multiple times to the board of Tottenham as one of the uh, interesting players for his for his project. So for sure he's a player he likes. And there is this release close in the contract of Dybala, 12 million euros available for clubs from abroad. That is very interesting for, uh, for many clubs. So this is the realities of today. What we can add is that at the moment, there is still nothing advanced on this on this story. Also, because Roma are trying to offer Dybala a new deal. For Mourinho, he's a crucial player. Remember what Mourinho said after the Europa League final. He said, we need more support. We need more signings. Imagine selling Paolo Dybala. Losing Paolo Dybala would be a drama for Roma. So this is really important for Roma, to offer him a new deal and to try to keep the player at the club.
0: Okay, so that's Dybala. What about Dusan Vlaovic?
3: At the moment, I'm not aware of any concrete negotiation with Tottenham, oh, sorry, with uh, Chelsea, honestly. Uh, at the moment, I'm told that he's always been appreciated by some people into the board. Uh, there is specifically someone who is a really big fan of Dujan Vlaovic, but at the moment, they have not approached Chelsea, uh, approached Juventus, sorry. So Chelsea and Juventus are not speaking about Dujan Vlaovic as of today. Then we have to see, as I mentioned before, what happens after the first games, after the first training sessions under Maurizio Pochettino, if they will decide to attack the striker situation. But I think, first of all, uh, until Romero Lukaku is a Chelsea player they will not move on any other striker and also for Blaovic at the moment it's important to understand the price tag how much Juventus really want for Dujan Blaovic this is a crucial step so at the moment it's not something that I would describe as advanced or concrete
0: uh, and therefore do you think Romelu Lukaku will consider Al-Hilal or, or Juventus we know Inter is his priority but club seems far uh, they seem far apart in valuation
3: I think Inter will return with a new proposal for Romelu Lukaku uh, it's true that they are far in valuation because the opening bid of Inter was around 25 million euros and Chelsea was starting from 40 45 so a big gap but the reality is also that Inter are going to sell Andre Nana uh, in the next day so the expectation is for the deal to be done next week and with part of that money that is going to be around 50-55 million euros they are prepared to put part of that money on the table with Chelsea for, uh, for Romelu Lukaku so I'm sure Inter will return with a new proposal I'm still sure that this is the priority of the player so Lukaku wants to play for uh, for Inter now it's important to see what happens between the two clubs but I want to say once again that Lukaku is not considering Saudi from what I'm hearing Romelu Lukaku wants to continue in Europe wants to continue in uh, European top competitive football and so at the moment his focus is on Inter
0: Ok so no Lukaku to uh, Saudi um, uh, the, an- Another question I want to ask um,
3: it, do
0: you expect Chelsea to bid for Mateus Franca
3: Honestly, this is a good point because they had some conversation. There were two conference calls between Flamengo and Chelsea, one on Tuesday, one on Wednesday. Uh, these were positive conversations, but now I think it's on Chelsea. They have to decide if after investing 15 million euros on Angelo Gabriel, Gabriel, this talent born in 2004, coming from Santos, this deal is done, set to be announced in the next few days. I think now they want to decide internally if they really want to spend 25 million euros for Mateus Franca. Probably, from what I'm hearing, they were hoping to spend something in the region of 15 million euros with some adults, with some percentage on future sale, but Flamengo want 25 or nothing. This is why, for Chelsea, it's now time to decide internally what they want to do. They had the conversation, they know the player is keen on the move, so there is a positive feeling and exchange between player sides and Chelsea, but now it's about the budget, how much they want to spend on this player. So, at the moment, it's not 100% guaranteed yet, and let me say that there are also other English clubs interested in Mateus Franza because for example since January Newcastle have always been interested now they have different top targets but he's always been one of the players appreciated and also Crystal Palace so let's see what happens in terms of English clubs in general not just Chelsea
0: We've talked about Romania uh, Lavia before and and uh, a Chelsea in the race? We've talked about Arsenal and Liverpool but are Chelsea interested in him at all?
3: let me say that this is a strange race because it's a race where no one has sent an official bid yet so I would keep this race absolutely open to every club at this stage because there is a lot of interest, it's one of the best talents in the world in his position but no one has sent an official bid to Southampton probably hoping for Southampton to reduce the asking price, at the moment they are around 50 million pounds but clubs hope that maybe in the next week this could be maybe 40 like the buyback uh, clause included in the contract with Man City but only valid in summer 2024 so this is the idea of some clubs maybe to wait a bit so honestly on Romeo Lavia I would always keep Chelsea into the race because they have Joe Shields Joe Shields is the director who was at Southampton and then was at Manchester City before he almost created Romeo Lavia as a player so the relationship between Romeo and Chelsea director Joe Shields is excellent and so I would always keep Chelsea there but now their focus is on Caicedo but they're still keeping an eye on the situation of Romeo Lavia in terms of contacts the club who really pushed in the last few days is Liverpool. Liverpool are very well informed. They had contacts on player side. They also had some contacts with Southampton to understand about the asking price. So I would keep Liverpool in the race, Chelsea in the race, and Arsenal, depending on what happens with Thomas Partey, who is one of the players who could leave the club, but at the moment is still not close to do that step.
0: Is there any chance Brighton or or even Liverpool can get uh, Levi Colwell?
3: I think it's very difficult. Then never say never in football because maybe if a player, this is general, but I think if a player goes to the club and says I want to go, this is a different situation. But honestly, after uh, the game, also yesterday night, I was checking once again about the situation of Livy Colville and what I told is that despite a lot of interest from top clubs, the answer from Chelsea is very clear. He's going anywhere. is impossible. He's going nowhere. it's impossible. They told me they want to keep the player. They consider Livy Colville as part of the future project. So, the idea of Chelsea is absolutely to count on Levy Colville as a crucial player for present and future. And they also sold Koulibaly because they believe that giving more game time to Livy Colville is crucial. So I'm sure Chelsea are doing their best to keep the player and this remains the idea.
0: I think to round up, um, uh, Fab, we need to have a word on Harry Kane. Uh, Bayern seemingly put in a, a second bid for uh, Harry Kane. Uh, is it true that the, the player is keen on a move to Bayern?
3: Yeah, I'm sure that the player is open to making this move. Then at the moment, Tottenham have not received any communication from Harry Kane, maybe saying like, let me go or I want to leave the club. But what is also true is that Bayern have received uh, positive messages from Harry Kane's camp. This is what they feel at the club. So Bayern believe that this deal depends on Daniel Levy. This deal doesn't depend on Harry Kane. Harry Kane would be prepared to make this move. So let's see how this conversation, Bayern-Tottenham, will continue. I think, this is my opinion, but also the feeling I had after speaking to some sources after this second bid, that it's going to be difficult to make it happen for €80 million Euros plus a ons So let's see the official answer from Tottenham, but looks difficult, really difficult to convince Levy with €80 million Euros fixed fee.
0: Fab, as ever, it's brilliant to speak to you. We'll talk to you again next week.
3: Thank you. My pleasure, really.
0: Ben, you've described Chelsea as a supermarket before, but I suppose the question is, is it a, is it a little or is it a Waitrose? <laughs>
1: I think in terms of supermarkets, it's one where when you are looking to sell your stock in that supermarket, the prices are as high as possible. And when you're looking to stock up your supermarket, the prices are as low as possible. In other words, Chelsea have looked this summer to bring in as much income as they possibly can. And from the domestic transfers, they've been able to put some very healthy fees on the books before the end of the last financial year. And now we're going to see whether Chelsea can move in the market for a number of names and key positions. And in particular, there'll be a midfield revamp with Moises Caicedo, a priority target. I'll come on to him in a moment. But I think Chelsea got a very good fee for Kai Havertz, in particular to Arsenal. And that was a deal that suited all parties. Kovacic always wanted the move to Manchester City and considering his age and the length left on the contract, that was also ideal from Chelsea's perspective. And Mason Mount was a bit more unfortunate. I think it will divide the fan base and we hear lots of narratives around it. But the reality is, is Mount didn't have a current and new deal to offset in his thinking against the Manchester United offer. For whatever reason, either because Chelsea wanted to sell, they didn't think he'd sign, Mount had already made up his mind. Either way, he's a Manchester United player now and Chelsea need to draw a line under that chapter. And personally, I hope Mount succeeds at Manchester United because if you go back to two seasons ago, he scored 11 Premier League goals and he was at his best. But last season, like many players, there was a dip in form and now he's a Manchester United player. But Chelsea can use that plus some of the Saudi transfer income as well. Edward Mendy, Kaladu, Koulibaly, possibly still Hakim Ziyech. That move is not 100% off to Al Nasser and look to bring in one or two more. So midfield is the priority. Moises Caicedo talks continue. They're happening quite quietly behind the scenes at the moment. Chelsea still feel like a package of around 80 million is possible, but Brighton are looking at the Declan Rice fee of 105 million all in and essentially trying to use that as a yardstick. They want 100 million for the player and we wait and see whether a compromise is reached. But that deal will basically come down not just to number, but structure as well. And Mikel, I'm going to ask you a little bit about midfield and that position and how it's evolved, but. First of all on Caicedo, have you seen much of the player? And do you think that he would be a good signing for Chelsea?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I've seen I've seen I've seen the player play quite a lot. I mean, I've watched Brighton. Um, I think, you know, if you if you like football, if you like watching football, I think Brighton is one team, you know, that you want to watch in the Premier League. The way they pass the ball, the way they play, the structure on which they want to play. Um, everything is done in the right structure. Um, the ball is not passed until the man has moved where he should move. I mean, it's like Pep Guardiola said, they are the best team in the Premier League when it comes to the right time to pass the ball and how to pass the ball. So, And I've watched Maria uh, Caicedo play. I think he's a very, very interesting player. Amazing player. Um, very energetic. Can get around the pitch. Uh, very good on the ball as well. I think that's something that Chelsea needs. And I think for him to come into the, you know, to come into this Chelsea team and come into this Chelsea midfield together with uh, Fernandez, I think to give the give the team a very good balance and build the structure in which we need to be able to 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 you know, I think when you have those two in the midfield, it will give the the likes of Rhys James and whoever if it's Ben Chilwell to be able to bomb down the line and join in an attack as well. I think it's going to be a very good balance. Um, he's an interesting player. I hope we do get him. Um, I hope we move quickly before someone else snatches him away from us so <laughs> we have to hit this 100 million I think we should go for him I think he's worth it and he's going to be a very very good player for 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 you know for Chelsea
0: yeah about that role because I know we've talked about it Ben that de- defensive midfield role I think you know you're the same view Ben do you, do you feel it's it's changed a bit Mikel you know the role that you played it is perhaps more attacking now it isn't just a sitter um, you aren't the water carrier as it were <sighs>
2: No, it is. I think it's changed quite a lot. I mean, I think when you look at the, the way we played it, obviously, I learned from the master, McAuley. Um, He was the sitter, wasn't he? And, um, and then Mourinho was like, you know what? This is, I want you to learn. This is the player. Watch Makalele play. Learn from him. And this is the position I want you to play. I know you play an attacking role, but this is where I want you to play. I want you to be the next uh, holding player for Chelsea. And I, you know, I watched Makalele. I learned the way he, you know, he played the way the way he went about his business very quietly. He doesn't get the glory, you know, at the end of the game. But I mean, we all see, you know, what he did for the club, uh, for the team. And um, and but now, when you look at the way this holding uh, position is being played, I think it's more attacking now. When you look at the likes of Rodri, you know, when they play in this holding position, they attack, they score goals. They give assists and also climb rise as well. You know, these are the players that, you know, when you watch them play now, it's evolved a lot uh since we played. You know, it's more attacking, more, 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 more of how you join the attack, not just sitting as well. But um, yeah, I think uh Caicedo would be a very good Adam for Chelsea.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You touched on it just now. If you look at Declan Rice in the last two seasons, who's just joined Arsenal, we've suddenly seen him score more goals, five in each of the last two seasons. We've suddenly seen the progressive passing improve. And we've seen him make a pass in a phase of play that leads to a shot on goal for somebody else. When you were at Chelsea and you were being trained, was the position evolving then and you were being encouraged to be a bit more expansive and fluid or was the instruction to you far more rigid and disciplined
2: it was it was far more rigid and disciplined we had to be far more rigid and disciplined it was like you know you have to sit and the likes of Frank Lampard or Michael Palak or Michael Essien whoever it was that was because obviously we played a three at Chelsea it was always one sitting and two on the other side so it was always four three three uh, so we have to, so you always have to have that sitting player to always sit there and like the likes of Frank Lampard to bump in and get in the box to get goals. So for us, it was far more uh, disciplined, but um, I think when I watched the, you know, the guys play now in this position, I quite enjoy it. I wish we had such a role, uh, such a freedom to be able to express ourselves more, far more better than we did back then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, look, if you, you learned from Claude McAuley and, the, and then the person who followed you was Angola Kante. So did, did he sort of hasten your exit from Chelsea a little bit?
2: He quite did. <laughs> 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 I think Angola Kante on his peak. I don't think there's, there's many players in this world that can compete with him. Um, yeah. I think when I watched him at Leicester and when he joined the club, I was like, you know, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. I need to go. <laughs> yeah, but what a, what an amazing football player he was. I mean, uh, what, a, you know, being at the club, um, still, I, you know, I can't understand why he's left the club as well. But I mean, you know, the owners can tell or oh, whichever. Maybe he wants a new chapter and he's had enough. Um, we never know. But um, yeah, Golokante was uh, probably one of my best midfielders at Chelsea, I must say.
0: There's one other player that you played with who, who's just left as well. And that's uh, Cesar Um, He was very emotional when he left. And he ended up being one of those Chelsea players you talked about. Had to get into that role. Presumably, he wasn't accepted into the so-called Mafia as you, but he was certainly the leader when, when he left of that squad.
2: Yeah, he was. I mean, uh, this actually is, I mean, it's a player where, for many years that we were there he he wasn't he wasn't accepted at all um but i mean like you say when players leave when the old guards start leaving everybody start leaving i mean he had to step into that role you know quite you know credit to him and he's done really well for the club stayed at the club for almost 12 years i think uh you know won lots of trophies and such an amazing seven of the club uh amazing guy goes about his business i've never seen a player Every day, comes to training. Every day, and trains same way every single day. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, the way he trains, the way he performs in training, the same way he plays in game. Um, he runs and runs and runs and runs in training, and, and same way he plays in games. Uh, uh, such, such a disciplined guy, uh, amazing human being as well off the football pitch. Uh, very disciplined, very down to earth. Uh, is somebody that I, you know, that I enjoy playing with. And uh, all I can say is, you know, I wish him. I wish
0: him the best in the next future. Yeah, well, it's been such a disappointing for, uh, season for him uh, and for the Chelsea men's side. But Chelsea women, of course, won the um, Women's Super League and the FA Cup and made the semifinals of the Champions League. Well, Emma Hayes has had another fantastic season and her next challenge is pitting her tactical wits against Arsene Wenger in the game for Ukraine. And Ben spoke to her exclusively at the match.
1: Emma, you come to me in Ukrainian yellow, but you are actually going to be managing the blue team at game for Ukraine. It takes place on August the 5th at Stamford Bridge. It's team Shevchenko. Tell me a little bit more.
4: First off, what an honour uh, to lead the team out in, you know, an iconic stadium um, for an unbelievable cause. And we're the group of players that the collective Caps and trophies amongst them all means that it's going to make, I think, for wonderful viewing for everyone. Everybody wants to win. Like we, Listen, we want, to, we want to raise money, we want to raise awareness, but we want to win. And uh, I certainly will prepare the best I can to put the team in a winning position.
1: As you say, it will be taken very seriously by the players, by yourself and by your opposite number, Arsene Wenger. There's no question.
4: I mean, the fact they could stand on the touchline against, uh, you know, one of my heroes, uh, and I know I've seen firsthand the teams he's produced at Arsenal and uh, looking at the quality he's got in his group, there's a lot of familiarity there for him. Um, so I think we're going to have to bring this group together quite quickly, but, you know, without naming too many names, I mean whether it's Perchek in goal to Canavara at the back, to Essien and McInerney at midfield, to Sivchenko and Hasselbank up front. That'll give you an idea of the quality through the spine. Obviously, you're not going to share it at this point,
1: but have you got an idea of your eleven and your formation yet? Or are there just so many stars that it will take some contemplation?
4: Yeah, I think it will take some contemplation, but simplicity is going to be key with it. You know, we're not going to get... Massive training time, so communicating you know, what's required, what's expected will have to be delivered in a really succinct way. Because like I said, we, we've got to provide enough playing opportunities for everyone there, get on the pitch. So keeping it simple and keeping that message simple will be something I'll focus on. And playing to the strengths of each and every player and looking at the quality here. You know, there's there's so much talent that the team, I certainly think, will, you know, give the yellow team a good game.
1: And not just stars, but Mikhailo Mudrik is also part of your team. How pleased are you to have him involved, at least in some capacity?
4: Oh, I mean, amazing. I mean, I'm sure it is for him too, that he's going to probably set foot on the pitch with players he's probably looked up to. Um but also to come in as a as a current pro, physically, you know he's going to be at a good level, and just having his, his just having him around the group and his presence, uh, I think, will be enormous uh, for us. And um, like I said, there's such talent that I've got so much to work with. Um, just really looking forward to to
1: putting them together and and looking to win. And you must be proud as well that Chelsea are hosting this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's uh, certainly no place I'd rather be than stepping out of Stamford Bridge and I think as the number of former Chelsea players that are in this team, you know, what uh, a great return it will be for them. And like I said, it's, it's twofold. We we certainly want to, to do everything we can for Ukraine, but I'm pretty certain that dressing room's going to want to win. And you must have had many
1: managerial influences. Is Arsene Wenger one of them?
4: Yeah, I mean, I was telling the story before that when I was a young coach at Arsenal, when I went in as the assistant in 2006, Arsene was, was still the coach of Arsenal there and him and his staff were so generous for their time when I was there as a younger coach and his game ideas have been so influential in my career. Um... He's someone I've looked up to and admired, um, even from my time when I worked at Arsenal. And I know how influential he's been um, on, you know, building not just an amazing programme then, but setting a legacy. And uh, we talk about many, many other coaches in the game, but Wenger, I think, has had such a major influence on so many coaches in
1: the last 15 years. And I've heard you mention before that Mauricio Pochettino is another role model. I don't want to be drawn on his recent appointment or the men's team, but why is he a manager that you respect?
4: Um, because I mean, I've watched his career from back in the Southampton days as someone who's uh, you know bringing on young players, developing young talent. Um, well, I think there's a warmth and a generosity to him that resonates and.
1: He's just someone I'm I'm looking forward to getting to know as a colleague. The biggest aspect of the game for Ukraine is about fundraising and helping the victims of the war in Ukraine. And we understand that there'll be various ways that fans can do that. How important is it, therefore, that people come down, they engage and they view this match as more than only an exhibition full of stars?
4: Well, I think we have to be reminded that we're all here for a common cause and you know raising funds um, for Ukraine is I think not only something that everybody in a time where there's you know a cost of living crisis that people you know will be passionate about but I think just having the opportunity to help in, in even if it's just a little way I think can go so far Uh, for many people in Ukraine. So, you know, it's important that the event, and I'll call it that because there's a football game, there's going to be music acts, there's going to be, you know, a brilliant day uh, for everyone involved that, that, you know, we do everything we can as human beings um, to support people in their biggest time of need.
1: I'm going to put you on the spot. You can steal one player from your opposing team. Who would it be and why? I mean that I I I
4: have to say Robert Pires, and if I could take, uh, I know Wenger would probably fight me on this, but I think to have a player of his ilk in the side it would add even more value. So he he
1: tops the list for me um, in that group. We'll come back to game for Ukraine in just a moment, and I should point out game for Ukraine dot com is the website where people can buy tickets. But let's talk a little bit about Chelsea women now about to start 2023-2024, having won the WSL, having won the FA Cup. Give me your thoughts on last season, more success once again, but it was very tight as far as the WSL race was concerned.
4: Well, I think the tight race seems to almost be like more of a surprise for everyone else than it is for us. It's not like other programmes aren't as well resourced. So there's, not, there's nothing to separate. Top, at least the top four teams, it's a level playing field. But our team has the ability, I think, in the tightest of margins to deliver when it matters most, particularly the latter end of the season. And sometimes that's the way seasons go. Like, maybe the first part of the season, I didn't think we were particularly scintillating. But the team knows how to win in the second part, and we were on an unbeaten run from the Continental Cup. In the league, I thought we were exceptional um, and deserving in the end and one where, personally, I think we enjoy the competition and the closeness. I think without it, I don't think we're the same team. So long may that continue in the league because we enjoy
1: it. It's great to see you back healthy as well. Yeah. From a football point of view, what was it like having to watch from afar? Uh, Easier
4: than you think. I think for all of us, when your health is contemplated and you have to put yourself first, um, it is easier to let go. As long as you got the right systems or processes and people in place, I and mean, I know we had that, so I trust each and every you know member that worked for us at Chelsea that they could deliver for the players and the players themselves. You no. Know, exceptional leaders, so I think it was an easier task than people might
1: think. And then looking ahead to this season, Hannah Hampton was announced yesterday. What will she bring?
4: Well, she'll bring personality, but uh, I think where the game's going and goalkeepers having to be almost extra outfield players, the ability with her feet is second to none, and I think an infectious playing style is the future. And uh, I think she's got a lot of work to do to get there, but she knows that, she understands that, and she's certainly looking forward to the challenges of competing.
1: Katarina Macario
4: as well, big name, big signing for Chelsea Women. She is, she'll bring, you know, so much to this team in terms of uh, not just, I mean, this is just got a great mentality, but she's got so much flair and skill and creativity and goal-scoring threat. I think she'll add something to us in a way that's
1: different. And I'm really looking forward to work with her. She seems a really, really great girl. And in terms of pre-season, it will obviously be a little bit atypical because certain players are coming back from the World Cup. But has it changed too much as far as you're concerned? No, it's something I've probably done my whole career,
4: dealing with players that come back from World Cup. So there isn't going to be much of a team pre-season. But individuals will access that. Some that will play at World Cups
1: will need recovery. So I'm confident coming back to the game for Ukraine, what's your message to fans thinking about coming down? Oh, I think
4: buy tickets, I mean, you tell me any game anywhere, you would be able to watch this level of world-class talent on show all at once. Plus raise money for, uh, worthwhile, meaningful, um, life-changing, uh, Ukraine. And, uh, the noise and the support of the crowd could make the difference with the outcome. So we need you. And there's certainly, uh, you know, the the
1: the impact uh, the crowd can have on the game. Tickets are available via gameforukraine.com. Finally, perhaps the most important question the Chelsea Women's fans will definitely want to know: this Will the game for Ukraine have hot dogs?
4: I know it will have food. Because the last time I said this, we never sold hot dogs and we had to source them in. So what I will say is there will be food. What that will be, I'm not going to overcommit on.
1: (laughs) For those that don't know, Emma sourced hot dogs for fans that had an abandoned game in the WSL. And I think that they still thank you for that. And that shows the kind of person and hands-on manager that you are. You really care. And that's evident. Love fans. And I
4: enjoyed it. There was certainly plenty to eat for everyone. Great stuff, Emma. Look forward to seeing you managing
1: at the Game for Ukraine. Thanks for your time. Cheers. Thank you.
0: Well, that Game for Ukraine is at Stamford Bridge August the 5th and tickets are available via the Game for Ukraine website. And plenty of good names there, Ben. Absolutely, including
1: Mikhailo Mudrik, who will be making a cameo of sorts. Emma Hayes is going to be up against Arsene Wenger. And Hayes said in that interview she's looking forward to also seeing Robert Pirès on the opposing side. Plenty of Chelsea legends as well. Petr Cech likely to start the game in goal. Gianfranco Zola up front as well. And it's going to be really competitive, I would have thought. And it's funny, Mikel, because even though it's Arsene Wenger, one of the Premier League's great managers, it reminds me of another story relating to another Premier League manager that's in the Hall of Fame, which is Sir Alex Ferguson. And of course, you almost joined Manchester United. And I wonder if you can just tell us the backstory behind that and explain how after you chose Chelsea, you bumped into Sir Alex. And I think from memory, you pretty much hid from him, didn't you?
2: (laughs) I kind (laughs) of (laughs) did. I mean, uh, yeah, it was was such a long story. Um, You know, going back, 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 uh, 2005, 2004, uh, this is when I was supposed to sign for Manchester United. Uh, Obviously, uh, well, I did sign a pre-contract, but obviously um, it wasn't, in some way, it wasn't really a contract, kind of. But, um, yeah, the whole thing was, uh, I mean, it turned turned into a mess. For one year, almost a year, I didn't get to play football. And then, obviously, FIFA had to intervene and got it sorted. Um, But, yeah, I I mean, Ferguson was uh, one manager that I really, really uh, admired and I wanted to play for. But then you had the likes of Jose Mourinho just coming up. Young manager, you know, very hungry, and got Chelsea to win the back-to-back uh, Premier League. And I thought, you know what? Why not? Why not change? And uh, you know, play, you know, play for Chelsea. Play for such a young, um, energetic manager who's growing very bubbly. And um, and Chelsea were the club then, you know, was a team to you know to be at then. And uh, I had a meeting with Mourinho. I had a meeting with uh, with Roman, and they tried to convince me to come to Chelsea. Uh, but it was a difficult i mean it was a difficult transfer it had to be done um, uh, you know my united got a lot of money for you know for that i didn't play a game but i think they got about 16 17 million pounds back then which was a lot uh but i was so happy and was so glad that it got sorted Um, but i i did wish now back now that you know that i didn't play for salis vegas and in, uh, in manchester United. but uh I'm not going to say I regret my time at Chelsea. I had an amazing time at Chelsea. I have no regrets at all. But as a player, you might one day want to play for South Alex Ferguson. So that's probably one of my regrets really.
0: <laughs> but when you when you saw him, knowing that you crossed him and basically said, I ain't going to, to Old Trafford. I'm actually going to Stamford Bridge. What did you do? <laughs>
2: I saw him one time though. I think I was coming out from the from I think it was Manchester United against Chelsea. I was coming out from the dressing room and just as I was coming out of the door uh, at the tunnel, that was him coming out. And I just shut myself. And I I, I I can't remember what happened. I think I, I I kept up the stairs and he looked at me and he just walked up. He started chewing his gum and he just walked off. He didn't say a word. <laughs> I was like,
0: he, did, he didn't yeah, that, have to. It, it was the death stare, wasn't it? That's what Yeah, it was the like.
2: death stare, definitely. I mean, I saw him, and as soon as I came out of the door, he was walking out, and I saw him, and I was going to, you know, and I just tripped up the stairs. I almost fell down, and he looked at me. He was like, yeah, and he just walked off. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that was you know, that was the stare. And, you know, I met him a few times after that, you know, and we started chatting, we started uh, talking about it, and, you know, he forgot about it. I mean, he forgave me, let's say.
0: Brilliant. Well, as as Ben said, um, Mikhail Mudrik is playing in the game for Ukraine. He's the country's most expensive footballing export. And we caught up with Joe Cole to get his views on the recently acquired Ukrainian winger and the new Chelsea project. What do you expect from Chelsea next season as chemistry starts to be
1: established and ultimately the club look to get the project back on
5: track? Yeah, I mean, definitely bang on. You know, it's not, it's not up to the standards of what we're used to. I think next year we have to be very mindful of, of what we expect from the players. You know, I think I think Chelsea should be very. You know, we should go for glory. You know, because the the club's been built on winning trophies. Um, but you, I think you're right. I think chemistry needs to be there. There needs to be synergy. There needs to be a calmness around the club. There needs to be composure. Um, all of these things that have to start to shape, take shape in the next 6 months and i think if we do that that's a, that's a win for the club but always underpinned you know every time you pull a chelsea shirt on you have to you have to win you know you have to go for for broke so so that's 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 important for us
1: there's a lot of promising young talent clearly the project in part at least is heavily invested in and hinges upon youth and in your position I suppose or around your position there's a number of names that could be big for Chelsea who has either impressed you so far or who do you think holds a large amount of potential as Chelsea prepare for next season
5: in terms of the young players, you mean? Either
1: new signings
5: or new the signings. depth around um, your position in particular? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I can't come on here and say that lots of Chelsea players this year, by their own high standards, because they're all top players, have, have, have produced to the level they are. So they're all capable of improvement. I think that's that's key. Um, I'm really excited to see how Mudric does after a settling in period. He he's one of them players that can get get fans fans' bums off the seats and get excitement in the stadium. You feel that from him. So that's going to be a good one. I think I think um Chukwueka as well. See how he develops again, another young player.
1: Everyone often talks about competition between players and it being yeah. healthy, but the bigger the squad is, the more demoralizing it can be for a player that isn't finding himself in the starting eleven. How do you cope with that?
5: I think any player coming into a top club you know, and Chelsea included is, you know, there's competition, you know, that's part of it. These players have been brought up competing to become as good a player as they can, competing for their place, competing for their careers, you know, so the players, they know what they're getting into, they know the deal. So, you know, the players know how to compete, you know, and, and, and one of the things you mustn't get demoralised, you must keep going, you must keep producing, you must keep playing for your for yourself and your own pride, you know, are fundamentally, even if you're not, you're not in the team, that's that's crucial. So um, the players will understand it and, and anyone comes at any top club will know that the that, that competition breeds, you know, results. It's, it's, it's simple. You know, you need to drive each other on.
0: So Ben, Mudrick is, is part of the Chelsea rebuild. Um, what do you think pre-season looks like for Chelsea?
1: Well, I think for Mudrick and also Nani Mudweke and Levi Colwell, they've just returned from the under-21 Euros. Mudweke and Colwell have won it. England beat Spain in the final. But Mudrick looked confident and very much at home in that tournament. And I think that's beneficial for Chelsea because he hasn't necessarily settled yet into Premier League football. He's shown flashes of what he can do. But like a lot of players last season in a big squad, he looked a little bit out of sorts and to be perfectly honest, maybe one of the reasons for that is because he'd spent a lot of January thinking that he would move to Arsenal. Chelsea came in late. There was then obviously managerial changes as well. So it's not easy. And I think that's a very underrated point. When you move in January, you've got no preseason. And then off the back of the World Cup, it was a really congested fixture calendar. So as a consequence, Mudrick hasn't really had any ability to stop and pause and reflect and think, both personally and professionally. So Maurizio Pochettino's aim with Mudrick now is to meet him and work out some one-on-one strategy that's going to get the best out of the player and we know from watching him in the Champions League with Shakhtar what he's capable of not only can he cut in from the left-hand side but there is a feeling at Chelsea that he can switch sides as well in game management when needed he's explosive he's lightning quick and as a result he will eventually Chelsea believe live up to that price tag but it's going to take a little bit of time and the man management with him of Pochettino is going to be vital and then with Meduayake and Colwell, they'll both be hoping for game time. I think that Nani Meduayake will grow from strength to strength and is clearly invested in the project. With Levi Colwell, it's about reassuring him that he's going to get regular game time. And I think the difficulty, and I'll get your thoughts, Mikel, with the Pochettino system, which we expect to be 4-2-3-1, is there's only two centre-back spots. So I look at Chelsea at the back. And I say back three keeps the centre-backs happy because you've also got Fafana, Badia Chalobah, potentially, and Thiago Silva. And that back three is good for Rhys James. It's good for Ben Chilwell. But a 4-2-3-1 is maybe better for the front line. And that might bring the best out of a player like Mikhailo Mudrick. But Colwell basically will stay at Chelsea regardless of whether he signs a new deal. And that's the intent, if he gets that regular game time. And my sense is that we might see a William Saliba scenario whereby in the same way Arteta brought him back from Marseille, threw him in for the first game of the season, I can see Chelsea doing the same thing. And the reason why Colwell is so anxious about the situation is because he's feeling from talking to people in the under-21s and Gareth Southgate that he's in contention not just to be in the Euro squad for the senior team in a year, but even challenge for a starting spot. That's how good England think he is. But to get that starting spot... He naturally has to get regular game time. So it's gonna be interesting, isn't it, Mikkel, in preseason? One, how Pochettino keeps everyone happy, and two, how he deals with players like Mudric and Colwell.
2: Yeah, I think you've got a spot on there. I think you know that's something he will definitely need to sort out. I think Modric, obviously, like you said, uh, is a player that we watch in the Champions League. We know exactly what he can do. For some reason, we haven't been able to get the best out of him at Chelsea. Uh, I think that's something that Pochettino would really needs to work out um, because I think he's he is a very very good player. I mean, if we can get him to to, to start finding Austin and start playing really well, I think he's going to help the help the team really well. And also, obviously, Ryan Stalin as well. He needs to start. He needs you know he needs to start playing well for the club. Um, I think I know obviously he's moved from Manchester City. It's a different way the Manchester City play and the way Chelsea play, but I think it's had a season now to be able to, 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 to try to figure things out at Chelsea. Um, and, and obviously the back, the, the, you, know, you know, the defence, like you've said, the 4-2-3, like uh, Pochettino always plays, will definitely have the front line. But again, we have to, then we'll have to, uh, we'll have to out the back. Uh, that's something we need to find a balance, but I think when you have the likes of Fernandes and Caicedo sitting there in that midfield, I think it will definitely have the two centre-backs and then give the likes of Chilwell and Riz James to be able to join the attack. I think we'll definitely find a good balance, uh but we definitely need to get Caicedo back uh, uh you know to Chelsea. If we can be able to get him, he will give us a good balance to make sure that the, the, you know the attacking formation suits the team really well and we can we can you know we can perform really well, not just defending, Attacking, we need to be able to get the you know the uh, obviously Riz James likes to attack and Chilwell likes to attack. We need to be able to give them this license to be able to attack as well. So, um, Pochettino has got his hands full. I hope he can be able to sort out things in the you know before the, before the season starts, uh, and I think he will do that.
0: Well, so many eyes on Chelsea this year. What are their realistic objectives? Well, recently Ben and I spoke to Gus Poyet, once of Chelsea, now the Greek national coach, to discuss just that. But we started by talking about the new man in charge.
1: Is there a way for Pochettino to come in with authority and still respect how these hands-on owners work?
6: It's a very good question. I have to say I'm very well put. Uh, I I work with uh, owners that they were coming to the dressing. I got no problem. They are the owners. They are in charge. They are the bosses. I, I am not one to tell a boss not to come. Uh, do they want to come to training? I don't care. I have nothing to hide to my club, nothing. The sport director, every day if he wants. I'm not not trying to hide or not say something, I'm not. Uh, And if I know it from the beginning, even easier, because I can't complain. It's not like you didn't tell me and then you appear every week. Uh, But I I think that we need to understand the new society. Football change. The owners, they are not the owners of, uh, you know. Ken Bates has nothing to do uh, with the, with the new, uh, you know, American owners, They are totally different. It's it's another another society and we need to accept how it is. Me, what I would like, uh, because this I I explained the other day and people get a little bit nervous when I say this. I don't care. I promise you, I don't care. When when it's an interview, Ben, it's both ways. eh? I don't go to the interview to sit down and you ask me questions and I answer and you go, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's it. I want to know from the other side. And that's one of the things. And the other thing is what I said to you. If I was interviewed for Chelsea, I want to say, OK, what is the objective? Do you know, Beth? Angus? No. Why is the objective of Chelsea next season?
0: Uh, what's their objective next season? Oh, you tell me. I, I mean, they need to be in Europe. That doesn't have to be being in top four, but they need to have a club that's that's going upwards rather than looking down and even thinking about... You know, okay,
6: so was, how important what you say. So then I would like to come here and say our objective for next year is this one. Now, can you tell Chelsea fans nowadays next year, four That's it. Are they gonna accept you coming from sports or coming mm-hmm. from another club? Is your buyer right If the club was getting the job or whatever. Or they're gonna say no no my friend here we win here a cup every season because we were winning a cup every season without winning the premier league more or less when i was there in 97 yeah. 90, so that's the problem that we're talking about different culture now ben look you don't know me i'm going to know me a little bit more uh, when i go to a club uh when i have an interview i ask for the objectives of the club where is the goal and uh, obviously, uh, let's make one clear, uh, Sunderland, uh, please save us. That's your objective. So then you say, okay, I, I think I can. I will try my best. Then maybe you fail. And if you fail, you know what happened. You're gone. You go home because you failed. And if you achieve it, that's your objective. That's like winning a trophy for the, the, the one we need to save a team from relegation. That's your goal. That's your aim. So that's what I know. And, and even if it's difficult... If I believe, okay, you know, with these players, with my character, with the training, with the convincement, with the, with the support of the owner, with the, 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 you know, the, the, the sport director, we get together, I think it's possible. I go in and accept Betis. And I'm saying every time, accepting Betis, I coach only 11 games. I achieve the objectives in every club I've been. Now, people didn't know the objectives. It's all internal. Yeah, that's the problem. That's yeah. the problem that people doesn't know. So if you go to Chelsea and the fans are expecting you to win a trophy next year, it's a different job than if you go to Chelsea and you need to stay, be in the top four. It's totally different. People think, oh, I the same. you got the same player. No, because the expectations is the problem with the coaches. The expectations are that Chelsea cannot be 11th. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's young players or no. It cannot be 11th. So that's the situation. But surely Chelsea Football Club's objective as a minimum
1: is top four, as a default is top four. Anything said outside of that would be unambitious and against the entire history of the club in the last two decades.
6: I agree. 100%. But are you're saying, is the minimum. So now you go got an owner and a coach. They are setting the objective for Chelsea Football Club, the minimum acceptable. Yes, that's the minimum. So you are not really being like, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to win a trophy, we're going to, you know. no. No, you're, you're going for the minimum acceptable. That that's also a problem because I know Chelsea fans, many, that they are so frustrated, you don't imagine. Because luckily they got used to win. And when you get used to win, oof. you know, you go one season and have a two seasons without winning, oof. and then you start with the issues. And then who pays the, the price? The manager. The
0: manager always, exactly. The manager
6: all the time. That's the problem. So I, I think it's very interesting what, what you're saying, and I think it should be. And I think if that is the aim, I think Pochettino is going to be a good fit. A hundred percent.
1: You went the other way, from Chelsea to Spurs. What do you think about the likelihood of Kane? Leaving Spurs is not a given. Daniel Levy is never easy to negotiate with. But going across London
6: to Chelsea? There is a possibility. Somehow, because of Pochettino talking to the player and convincing him that that's the moment for both. To go and be closer to winning trophies, that is what the hurricane is uh, is looking maybe uh, for the future. Knowing Daniel Levy, I think he will sell it to Man United somehow. I don't think we sell Harry Kane to Chelsea. I think he will find a way to sell him somewhere else. <laughs> I'm making sure that if in top the Pochettino is going, he saying definitely no. He's not, Harry Kane. He's not taking
0: Harry Kane with
6: him. He, <laughs> it's not. So, uh, but uh, listen, for Spurs it's great in terms of a one-year contract two clubs, big clubs. You know, trying to buy a player without a uh, a price, hey, come on, come to me, put your bid on, and I'm waiting to the quarter to 12 on the 31st of August. Daniel Levy's uh, transfer surprise at the end, that was yeah. it's gonna happen for sure. I
0: mean, it's fascinating, Ben, what um, Gus has to say and how he looked at that. I mean, the whole interview we had with him when he looked at that Chelsea side and said, Look, he's not the Chelsea side that I know because it's not winning. My Chelsea side always wins. What they need, don't they? And there's still problem is, don't they need a decent number nine and Harry Kane would fit that role?
1: They need a decent number nine. Nicholas Jackson has joined, in fairness. Amanda Broglie is very respected by the club with a big future as well, but I wouldn't rule out a traditional... Number nine, Dusan Vlajevic, one on the radar. Thiago Silva said at the British Grand Prix over this weekend that he'd like Paolo Dybala, who was also at that race, to join as well. But he couldn't get an answer out of the player. But Harry Kane will naturally be linked. I must say that when Maurizio Pochettino was unveiled as Chelsea manager, he was asked about Kane and he wasn't really drawn either way. But he did say that Chelsea, quote, are looking at different things. I think it's obvious if Kane became available in the market to a Premier League suitor that both Chelsea and no doubt Manchester United, if they can find the funds, would be very interested in Kane. You're never going to turn down a player that scored 30 Premier League goals last season, but ultimately, would Daniel Levy sell to Chelsea, or are you wasting your time? And as Gus Poyer said in that interview, he feels like Levy would do everything in his power to avoid selling Harry Kane to any Premier League rival, which means that Kane would have to try and push the move. And when Manchester City tried in 2021, Levy said, give me 200 million to even start a conversation, otherwise stop wasting my time. And Manchester City walked away and now they've got Erling Haaland. So I think Kane is going to be difficult. People will always make the links because of Maurizio Pochettino. But Chelsea just need goals because their defense, even though there were a few individual errors, was not terrible last season. So if they add 30 more goals, then they leap up the table and they're back challenging for Champions League football. The other thing about Kane is that Bayern are pushing. And in the last 12 hours, they've made a second bid for. Harry Kane, I understand that that's €80 million plus add-ons, so the total package is around £80 million. It's not thought that that will be good enough. Spurs still consider Kane as not for sale, but we wait and see whether Levy's more prepared if Kane wants it to do business with a non-Premier League rival. So it's going to be interesting. Kane could well drag on throughout the course of the summer, and Postacoglu wants to keep the player. Mikel, knowing Chelsea, knowing that they're ambitious... Knowing that this model has been about big spending, even crazy spending at times, do you think there's any even tiny possibility of Harry Kane to
2: Chelsea? No. <laughs> 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 I, I definitely don't see that one happening. <laughs> I think, when he, first of all, you need to look at the rivalry between both. I think, uh, I mean, I just remember back, back in the days, you know, when we used to play against Spurs, the rivalry is, is massive, uh, not just for the fans, I think for the players as well. Uh, Spurs is one team that we absolutely, absolutely don't like for some reason. Uh, I think even when we play on the pitch, you can see the hatred between the players. Uh, and that's something that I don't see now as well with, the, with this current Chelsea team. You know, they go to play against Spurs, you know, you see the huggy-dobby, people laughing with each other. You know, you never used to see that. It was, for us back then, it was a lot, you know, it was all-out war against Spurs. Um, So I definitely wouldn't see Harry Kane coming to Chelsea, definitely not. I don't think that's going to happen. First of all, the Spurs fans would definitely not forgive him. Never will they. Um, But also, I don't see him moving to Bayern Munich. Because, I mean, what are you going to do at Bayern Munich? Uh, They win the league every year.
0: Yes, I think Harry Kane (laughs) would. At least he'd have a trophy.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But, I mean, they win it every year. (laughs) It's like like going to Paris Saint-Germain. Are you going to Paris Saint-Germain to win the Champions League or to win the Liga?
0: (laughs) At least at the end of his career, Harry can say, I won a medal. All right? I won the Bundesliga, all right? (laughs) Mikel, just want to ask you
1: something a little bit left field on strikers because you of course are Nigerian and one of the stories last season was also Victor Osaman, who almost joined Manchester United before Napoli but didn't think he would get the game time I think he spoke to Igalo who was there and felt like he'd be too low down the pecking order now we're going to see Napoli potentially ask for 150 million euros so nothing may be possible but again if he's available in the market you're going to get Maybe Chelsea, maybe Manchester United. Looking. Do you think Osamun will stay at Napoli, or do you see him moving to the Premier League?
2: I think he will stay at Napoli. I think I think he will stay at Napoli. Um, I mean, I think uh, this is one player that I've watched his you know his development. I think when you t- talk about two, three years ago, he's not this. He's not still a polished, well polished striker. He still needs to be. Um, he still needs to improve. But I mean, the development for the past two, two three years has been absolutely amazing. Um, and yeah, he's done really well, you know, in the Italian League, for Napoli, they won the league. Now they're going to be in the Champions League. So I don't see him leaving now. I think probably next year. Um, from what I heard from people close to him, I think he wants to stay at Napoli uh, for another year. And um, why not? I mean, Charles can go in if we can be able to, you know, you know, offer 100, 120 million, you know, we might be able to tempt Napoli to sell him. I think he also wants to play in the Premier League, definitely. Uh, I think his dream is to also play at Manchester United, but I mean, Chelsea's not bad, is it? So, I mean, if we can be able to pay 120 (laughs) million, he might change his mind.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And uh, finally, Mikel, I wonder whether you think this Chelsea project can work and that Chelsea can get back to their former glories.
2: I don't think I think it will work, but I don't think it's gonna be next season. I don't think it's gonna be the season after that. I think we need another two, three, four years, maybe, if we look at that. I think we're gonna bring in a lot of players again, this this transfer window, obviously. Uh how do you get those players again to start to to you know to gel? I think that's something we didn't get last season. There was a lot of young players, a lot of talented players, but how do you get them to play together? We never, we didn't get that last season. And that's why the team, you know, it just looked like um, 11 players running around not knowing what they were doing on the pitch. But if we can be able to bring in players now, Mauricio Contestino will be able to bring his players in and get the team to play the way he wants. Um, I don't think we will get back into the Champions League next season, but I'm looking at the season after that.
0: I sort of, I, I mean, I agree agree with you. I, I don't think there's a magic formula when there's quite a lot of underlying change there. So many players going out, such a, a bloated squad previously, players all over the place. Some of those key players you talked about have, have left recently and you've got to build again. And I just wonder, you know, we've seen how Todd Bowley's reacted already to, you know, managers there and, and what he has and hasn't liked and moved on. And whether Ben... That the he that the Pochettino now has to be given two three years without winning a trophy to put Chelsea back in a position where it's challenging for the Champions League or the league title.
1: Well, I think the ownership at Chelsea realised how important this appointment was, and there is a acceptance in hindsight that maybe Graham Potter was appointed a little bit too quickly. So this was a thorough. Process and Maurizio Pochettino took his time as well. And it's about Pochettino buying into the model and the model buying into Pochettino, which is why we constantly hear this word collaborative. And I genuinely think that Chelsea's ownership will have the last laugh because we've seen chaos and drama, but also excitement and ambition and the innovative nature with which they've amortized players until the loophole was recently closed shows you the kind of owners they are hands-on, groundbreaking where they can be, but they've had to learn on the job. And that's led to, in hindsight, what I'm sure they would call learnings and the fan base may term mistakes. But mark my words and bookmark this (laughs) at the end of the season. Yeah, Chelsea, for me, will not only have the last laugh, but this coming season, this coming season, so contrary to Mikel, contrary to you, Angus, At the end of this season, I think Chelsea will have 80-plus goals and 80-plus points, which means that they'll be in the top four. That is my prediction. And then away from the football, I think that they will add to the multi-club model, keep an eye on Rio Avenue, and we'll see over pre-season during the Tour of America the kind of brand expansion part. They need to find a shirt sponsor and a sleeve sponsor as well. But I think when it all comes together, as long as there's chemistry, identity, and stability, Chelsea will be all the better in the long term under this ownership.
0: That's a big old shout! Yeah, what a, what, a, what a isn't it, Mikel? <laughs> I mean, you, you, I think you and I have just we've sat here in disbelief at what Ben has just gone on. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's a big, <laughs> that's a massive prediction. that <laughs> uh, <laughs> end William. of the season. Yeah, I think, at end the, of the- I, I think the one thing we all agree is that it will be good in the long run.
0: In the, in the <laughs> long run, it will work, and maybe maybe that's the way we should end it. Uh, leave if it dangling there. That is your football debrief. Many thanks to our guests this week: Joe Cole, Gus Poyet, and Emma Hayes, and of course, Mikkel John Obi. As always, our thanks to Fabrizio Romano for dropping in. Remember, he will be here every week giving us his spin on all the big transfer dealings around the world. And you can find us on Fab Substack, on YouTube, and on all your usual podcast platforms. Tell your friends, thank you for listening. If you want your football talking points discussed, you'll find we do that every single week with the Games Opinion Makers. We'll see you next time.